We've been studying through the book of Psalms. And we're in Psalm 114. And I'm really glad that I don't have to figure out what to do with Psalm 119. <laughs> I've been praying that we get an interim before we got to Psalm 119. Psalm 114 is short. And I like that tonight. Um, give us time to talk about it. So, as you have in your handout, the summary of the Psalms, we've looked at this every week for 114 Psalms now. God, the true and glorious King, is worthy of all praise and prayer, thanksgiving and confidence, whatever the occasion, in personal or community life. That's by Kendall Easley. And that that really resonates with the psalm that we'll study tonight. You'll see that in a minute. John Piper says that the psalms are songs. They are poems. They are written to awaken and express and shape the emotional life of God's people. Poetry and singing exist because God made us with emotions, not just thoughts. Our emotions are massively important. And, a little side note, our emotions are, are strong. And sometimes they can mislead us. And so when we're feeling really emotional, the Psalms are a great place to go to guide our emotions with truth, right? The truth of God's Word. I remember hearing a preacher say one time that, that, that our emotions are sometimes the most shallow part of our being, but they're very powerful as well. So we have to guide them in truth. So tonight we're studying Psalm 114, the title that's over the, uh, this chapter in my Bible is just the same thing I put, tremble at the presence of the Lord. Now the summary for Psalm 119 is, it's one that is uh, in the original language, is four stanzas with four lines each. It's very, very poetic in language, and it summarizes the historical account of God's power displayed, primarily displayed in the way that Israel was rescued from Egypt. Sorry, I got off. I'm not reading now. Um, how his chosen people were ushered into the promised land to fulfill God's plan, the plan that he had promised, by the way. And we see in this psalm, the Lord is sovereign and trustworthy. He is mighty and worthy to be praised. We serve a God that is able and willing. And that's a good thing. That is a very good thing. So let's read the psalm and we'll pray and we'll dive in. Psalm 114, verse 1. When Israel went out from Egypt, the house of Jacob from a people of strange language, Judah became his sanctuary, Israel his dominion. The sea looked and fled. Jordan turned back. The mountains skipped like rams, the hills like lambs. What ails you, O sea, that you flee? O Jordan, that you turn back. O mountains, that you skip like rams. O hills, like lambs. Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, who turns the rock into a pool of water, the flint into a spring of water. Let's pray together. Father, tonight we bow our heads before you and confess that we need your guidance, 
And Father, we thank you for the salvation you have provided us in Christ. And, and Holy Spirit, right now, we pray that you would illuminate your word in our minds and hearts and help us to study it rightly and help us to apply it and obey it rightly. Lord, we thank you for the privilege to meet here tonight. Thank you for the privilege to worship you as your sons and daughters in this free land. We pray that you would help us to be bold witnesses for your glory, that you would use us mightily to expand your kingdom across the street and around the world. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, if you look at this psalm, there's a theme here. And the, the theme is very simply, God is powerful. And then you, have, you see this poetic language, like the, the language of, it's the, the metaphorical language, like rams skipping and lambs skipping and the, the sea turning back. And this, this metaphorical language. But the whole point of this is that God is powerful. So in the first point here, all the psalm, verses 1 through 8, uh, invites us to see the Lord's power. See the Lord's power. In verse 1, you see that He freed Israel from Egypt. That place of strange language, of foreign language. And you remember, from old, that was a promise that God had made. This was something that He had prophesied hundreds of years before it happened. Israelites were in bondage in Egypt for 400 years. And he freed Israel from Egypt. Now this is a summary. This isn't line by line. Some of the Psalms give very, very uh, detailed historical accounts. It talks about the different plagues and all of these things. But tonight it's just kind of these highlights, if you will, from Israel to the promised land. So he freed Israel from Egypt. In verses 3 and 5, you see that he parted the Red Sea. Verse 3 says, the sea looked and fled. Verse 5 says, what ails you, O sea, that you flee? I think that's a rhetorical question, and we know the answer, right? Why did the sea flee? Who did that? How could that happen? Only somebody that has all power can do something so grand. You remember the story, right? The Israelites had been set free. God had ushered in all these plagues, and these plagues were coming, and all of a sudden, you'd think Pharaoh was about to let them go, and then he hardened his heart, and he, he didn't let them go. And the last straw, the last plague, the Passover, he said, just go, just go. And so they leave, the whole nation. And they get to the Red Sea, and they realize, oh, no. The Egyptians had to change a heart, and their whole army is pursuing us right now. Can you imagine? There wasn't this skilled army. It was a bunch of brickmakers. <laughs> what are we going to do? And they start grumbling, God, why would you lead us out into the desert to perish? And what does the Lord do? He shows His people that He is powerful over all of creation and over all people. Remember what happened? He, he made the cloud, the resemblance of His presence, to dwell and confuse the Egyptians, so that they couldn't make it to the Israelites, and he caused the wind to blow, and the Red Sea parted, and the Bible says they crossed through it 
like they were walking on dry ground. What must that have been like? Isn't it easy just to read over those things and say, okay, God part of the Red Sea. What would that have been like? You know, I mean, have you ever seen Arca Butler when the water's low? And you see just this little lake bed, and you're out there looking for, for Indian rocks or whatever, you know, and it's just, I'm talking about the Red Sea. And I'm talking not because the water's been low for months. I'm talking about it was not low, and now it's parted. And there's a wall of water on one side and a wall of water on the other side, and I'm walking through this thing like dry ground. That's pretty cool, right? How quickly we read through those things. Me, me. I read through this stuff without really slowing down and thinking about it. So we see God's power exhibited in the way that he parted the Red Sea. The next point is he stopped the Jordan River from flowing. You remember that story as well. In verse 3, it says, The sea looked and fled, and the Jordan turned back. Verse 6 says, O Jordan, or it says, What ails you, O sea, that you flee, O Jordan, that you turn back? Do you remember the story? Before they were going to cross into the promised land, it was not during the dry season. It was during the time that the river was its highest. It was swelling beyond the banks. And what did he do? He caused it to stop flowing. It was just like there was this boundary where the water just started piling up more and more and more. And it stopped flowing so that from this boundary, it was dry. And Israel, again, walked through the Jordan River on dry ground. Now, that was 40 years after the Red Sea was parted. That was after the wandering period. Remember that? I just read through it not that long ago. He told the leaders of the different tribes to get each get a stone and to bring it out and to build a memorial to be remembered. These 12 stones, these pillars stacked up so that when the children of Israel said, why is that pile of rocks there? They'll say that is a remembrance of when, the, when God stopped the flow of the Jordan River so that his people could march into and take the promised land. That's magnificent. That is magnificent. That is power. Now, the Israelites saw the power of God at the Red Sea, right? But what happened when they were supposed to go take the promised land the first time? They got afraid. They were afraid of man. Check, check. Oh, hey, stay right here. They saw, after the wandering, the Jordan River pile up. This, this, the, the wording here says, turn back. And there were times that they still doubted and disobeyed God. Now, that's relevant in our lives as well, right? Have you experienced the power of God? I'm ashamed at how often I forget the power of God that I've seen in my own life, in my friends, in my family's life, in our church life. I mean, just think about this, this one small fellowship at Longview Point that we call Longview Point Baptist Church. 
We're 16 years old. And God has done mighty things. Do you remember the stats that were listed up as we were trying to encourage Brother Wade of all the things that God's done in the last 16 years and the millions of dollars that have been given to international missions and the families that have been sent out as church planters and pastors and missionaries and all of these things that God has done. What about in our own personal life? What about our own salvation? I don't know everybody in this room's story. And those of us who were saved, our stories are unique as well. Some of us had different strongholds than others. But I know this. I was a young adult when I came to Christ. And I had no power to overcome a lot of bondage in my life. And I tried for a whole month to quit a bunch of bad habits so that I could go to church on Sunday and not feel guilty. You know what happened? I couldn't stop. I was in bondage. I did not have the power to overcome. And the night my friend Dusty came to share the gospel with me, the night that the gospel finally made sense and gripped my heart, the night that I not just had head knowledge, but repented and trusted in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, the night that I surrendered, that night the Holy Spirit came into me and I didn't even understand what was happening, but power entered into me off the floor thinking, I feel different. I remember praying and asking God to take away my sin and I remember standing up and feeling so light that I could be floating almost because He had done that. And I remember going back to some of those sins and I remember being convicted of those things and I remember my, my new friends that were teaching me how to walk with God showing me in Scripture that when God convicts us of those things, it's out of love. Don't, don't run from it. <laughs> don't run from God's conviction. Respond to it. Repent afresh and anew and ask Him to give you the strength to overcome. And I'm telling you, in a month, those things that I could not do, I could not stop on my own, God was taking them away one by one, changing my desires and giving me the power to overcome those things. And I hear, I'm here to tell you, it is not because I had the willpower. It's because God's power was delivering me. And that's the same Holy Spirit that dwells in all of us tonight who are believers in Christ. The power of God displayed. They doubted God's power. We doubt God's power. We shouldn't. So I want to invite you tonight, just like this psalm goes back and looks at those, those mile marker moments, those big moments of Israel's history of freedom and rescue. Think about those mile markers in your own life, the things that God has done in your own life. Next point. That was, that was all extra. <laughs> he caused Mount Sinai to quake. I mean, this is when it really gets serious. You remember? Do you remember? Look at verse, uh, verses 3, sorry, verses 4 and 6. The mountains skipped like rams. The hills like lambs. Now, I've never seen a lamb skip. I've never, never seen a ram skip. I've seen a deer run away. <laughs> I've seen elephants run. And <laughs> the imagery here, the poetic imagery, 
is pointing back to Mount Sinai. When Israel came face to face with their God. And they heard His voice thunder down from the mountain. And they were afraid. And they begged Moses to have him stop talking. And they couldn't stand it. They were going to die if he didn't stop. Because they experienced the thundering glory and holiness of God. It was overwhelming. What would it have been like? God's glory so thick that when Moses met with him, his face would glow. The reflection of his glory on a man's face. Wow. The glory of God. The power of God. When he speaks, mountains quake. Who is this God that has this kind of power? He is the creator of the heavens and the earth. He is the one who spoke these things into existence. He is the one who can cause mountains to shake. Now, I've never tried to pick up a mountain, but I've tried to pick up a pretty big rock. Think about old garden stone, how heavy that is. Then think about a mountain. He can cause a mountain to quake. Verse 8 reminds reminds us of another story. Who turns the rock into a pool of water, the flint into a spring of water. You remember that story, right? The Israelites were wandering through the desert. They're thirsty. There's no water. What to do? Well, let's murmur. <laughs> right? What to do? Let's murmur about it. Let's complain. Let's fuss. What does God do? He shows His power and His provision. Right? He's not just able. He's willing. And He tells Moses what to do. And He produces a stream, a flow, a water, a pool of water from a rock. How awesome is that? How handy would that be? Right? Before we were going overseas, I got a little pocket water purifier. It's a little pump, and you can use it to suck up water out of a river or a pond or whatever, and you can pump it, and it'll purify it through a ceramic filter. And I thought I was in high cotton with that thing. You don't even need that if you can just make water come out of the rock. Who can do these things? (laughs) Not... These companies that produce hiking material. God, the creator of the rock. God, the creator of the world. God, the creator of water. The one who speaks and things begin to exist. He is all powerful. Verses 7 and 8 says, He is sovereign over the earth. It says, Tremble, O earth. At the presence of the Lord. At the presence of the God of Jacob. And then it continues. Who turns the rock into a pool of water. The flint into a spring of water. There's the answer of all these questions in verse 7. Who is it that can do these things? Red Sea, why did you flee? Jordan River, why did you turn back? Mountains, why did you quake? Because of the Lord's presence. The Lord's presence. Because He is sovereign over all of the earth. And all of those things. 
And if that's the case, we should approach him accordingly. When things aren't going the way we want, we have somebody to turn to. By the way, sometimes what we want is not what we need, or it might not be God's timing. But he is present, and he is powerful, and he is able, and he is worthy to be turned to and to be trusted. We don't need to fret. We just need to take it to him and rest in him. So let me, let me fast forward to the next step. And these, these next points kind of flow from that first point. Verses 1 through 4. Exemplify that we should trust the Lord's plan. We should trust the Lord's plan. He was able to form Israel into a nation and deliver them into the promised land. Verses 1 through 4 talk about how he parted the Red Sea. Kind of, you skip on down actually to verse 6 and it talks about the Mount Sinai. And then it goes back to the Jordan River. That's them going into the promised land. And it, it summarizes basically leaving Egypt and going into the promised land. That was God's plan from the beginning. When he called Abram, who had no children, and told him, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. Remember that story? Way back before? And, and he was an older gentleman as well. And he had no children. He had no offspring. How is this going to happen? God's plan is happening in this story. The nation of Israel that he rose up in Exodus chapter 12, I'm going to mark my spot. I'm one-handed tonight. Exodus chapter 12, <clears throat> verse 37, says that the, peop the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. A mixed multitude also went up with them and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. All of these people exemplify God being able to bring his plan into being. And they've been in slavery. They, God heard their cry. And in his timing, according to his plan, he delivered them from slavery. They come into a dead end and they're stuck at the Red Sea. And he parts the water and he delivers them through the water. And by the way, we fast forwarded over the Israelites, the Israelites passed through to safety. And then God lifted the cloud and allowed the Egyptians to follow behind them. And then he collapsed the water and conquered the whole army. That's how powerful that was. It wasn't just, hey, let's... Uh, a little three-foot knee wall over here. I'm going to tiptoe through this little water patch. It was enough water on each side to collapse and kill and wipe out a whole army. God's plan was unfolding, right? Now, he takes them to the Jordan, and he tells them to go and take the land, but they are afraid. So he says, okay, you'll wander for 40 years, and you're going to learn to trust me. 
You're going to learn from my presence. And he gives them another shot. Forty years later, they cross and they take Jericho. Remember that? How they took Jericho? They marched around the city, shouted. The walls fell down. There was confusion. They took Jericho. God is accomplishing his plan. And they continued to take the hill country and the low country. And they received the promised land that was flowing with milk and honey according to God's plan. The Israelites continued to learn about who this God is. He, brought, he taught them about the sacrificial system that points to the fact that there is no remission of sin without the shedding of blood. His plan was marching on. And when he told Abraham so many years before, through your offspring, the nations will be blessed. He was ushering in, using Israel to show the world who the one true God is. Do you know that you did not have to be an Israelite to worship the one true God? The nations were welcome to worship Him, invited to, supposed to be. And God continually marched on, and His plan has been continually marched on. And even today, God's plan is continually marching on. Habakkuk 2.14 says that there is going to be a day when the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. That's in God's word. Revelation 7.9 says that before Jesus worshiping in heaven, there will be people from every tongue, tribe, and nation worshiping before the throne and language. God's plan continually unfolding. We get small glimpses of it. This time of year, we worship God and praise Him for the incarnation. Praise Him for the coming of our Messiah, our Savior. This time of year is a time for us to have heightened awareness of the reality that Jesus veiled His deity with human flesh and He came to the earth and lived as a man. And He completely fulfilled the law. Why? Because God's plan was continually unfolding. He was able to rescue Israel, but the big picture was he was rescuing Israel so that his big plan would continue to unfold and the Messiah would be coming through the Israelites and not just for the Israelites, but for all the nations. Let's move on. Rest in the Lord's presence. We should rest in the Lord's presence. If, if we see his power and we trust his plan, we can rest in His presence. Verses 1 and 2. Oh, sorry, let me go back to Psalm 114. When Israel went out from Egypt, the house of Jacob, from a people of strange language, Judah, became His sanctuary. Israel, His dominion. He was with Israel when He brought them out of Egypt. His glory displayed in the, His presence displayed in the form of a cloud by day and a fire by night. His presence. He led them from Egypt to the promised land. This whole psalm is summarizing just that. He did not give them a compass and some coordinates. The Israelites were told, 
When the cloud moves, break camp and follow God's glory, His presence. When it stops, set up camp and you just wait until He moves. They walked with God. Literally. Followed Him. Literally. The next point. He showed His glory in the cloud, on the mountain, in the tent, in the tabernacle. In verses 1 and 2, we just read, Judah became a sanctuary. Israel his dominion. They set up the tabernacle. God allowed His presence to be manifest in the Holy of Holies. How amazing is that? Do you remember how serious the Holy of Holies was? could only be entered one time a year by the high priest. And if he did not have all of his sin completely confessed, he would be struck dead. You know, you've heard this, right? The, the um, history, if you will, says they would tie ropes around the priest and they had bells on them. So they could hear him moving around. And if a period of time went for too long, or if they heard the bells like crash, they knew, well, we'll drag him out because we can't go in after him. God's presence was serious. His holiness is serious. He showed his glory. <laughs> My phone thought I said Siri. <laughs> Technology. Uh. So, if these first three points are true, and I think they are, we can see the Lord's power in this psalm. We see that we can trust His plan, and we should be able to rest in His presence. He had it all under control. Then we should live as the Lord's chosen people. We should live as the Lord's chosen people. God chose Israel as a nation to represent himself. Sometimes they did well, sometimes they didn't. <laughs> Same could be said about me. But we know that like Israel, today, all believers are God's chosen people. Today, church, we are God's holy nation. Those of us who are in Christ are God's chosen people. Second Peter chapter 2, you have that in your notes. Let's just read it. Might as well read it. Second Peter towards the back. Chapter 2 verse 9 and 10. I'm sorry, First Peter. I keep saying, I meant to say First Peter. First Peter. I type Second Peter. Scratch that. You need to change that. First Peter, chapter two, verse nine and ten. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of the darkness and into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. 
Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Today, we are the people, the chosen people of God. We are the holy nation, the kingdom of priests. We are the ones that are to represent God to the world around us, like Israel was called to do so. What does that mean? What does that look like? We should be holy. That means set apart. That means other. That means different. That means that the way that we respond to difficulty, to uncertainty, to hostility, to unfair circumstances should look different than the world around us. We should be different. The way that we speak as though as seasoned with grace should stand out to those around us. The people in your workplace, the people in your family, the people in your community should say, Oh, Johnny, man, he, he, he doesn't talk like the rest of us. He doesn't talk bad about other people. He doesn't stab people in the back. I went to a service at Bellevue Baptist Church. A long, it's been a while now. It was when Adrian Rogers was retiring. And, my, and Megan and I were big fans of Adrian Rogers. I guess it's okay to be fans of a preacher. Loved listening to Adrian Rogers and felt fed by him. By, still am. Still fed by Adrian Rogers. And his daughter was on a recording, a video, and she said she was giving a tribute to her dad. And she said, I can honestly tell you that my father was the same in the pulpit as he was at the kitchen table. Never heard him say anything negative about somebody. Never heard him get all flustered and cuss people out. He was the same at the kitchen table with our family as he was in the pulpit. And I thought then and there, man, Lord, please, please let that be me. I'm here to tell you, I blew it. <laughs> I've already blown it. <laughs> it's too late for that. <laughs> Maybe my kids will say, my dad at least would repent and confess his sin to us after he lost his temper. <laughs> but we should be different, right, than the world around us. We should stand out as a holy nation. And we should represent God well. We have the capacity to love with the love of God. We have the capacity to turn the other cheek when we're wronged. We have the capacity to love people that hate us, not because we're so good, but because the Holy Spirit in us. And we have the ability to forgive people that are hard to forgive, not because we're so strong, but because we have been forgiven also. We should stand out as God's holy people, but we should also always be ready Ready to give an account for the hope that lies within us. When we stand out, it should not be only by deeds. It should also be accompanied with a loving witness, a loving testimony, an, an explanation. When someone pats you on the back and says, man, you're a great guy. Do we say, yeah, I'm a pretty good guy. Thanks. Or do we say, man, you should have saw me before Christ got a hold of me. <laughs> you never would have called me a great guy then. Let me tell you about what God's done in my life. Let me tell you why I am the way that I am. Maybe it is you get convicted 
Maybe you, do, you did not have a good testimony at work this week, and God is convicting you about that. So you need to go and apologize to somebody and say, you know what? I'm sorry. I'm sorry for being rude. I'm sorry for being short. I'm sorry for being disrespectful. That, that's not how God calls me to live, and I want to tell you I'm sorry, and I want you to know that I've repented. That also stands out, right? Given that witness, that verbal witness. You're probably tired of hearing me talk like this, but I can't. I, I, if we're going to, we need to be practical, right? Every one of us, as God's children, as his holy people, as those who are called to represent him and glorify his name, we have been given a commission. Every one of us. It is not reserved only for those who have outgoing personalities. It's not only for those who have this ability to get into spiritual conversations well. There are so many people that I admire that have the ability to jump into a, a gospel conversation just as naturally. I mean, folks getting witnessed to before they even know what happened. And they just share the gospel so clear. I admire that. I pray for that. I long for that. I have found that usually if I get over my fear and just step out there, then God begins to help me in that way. But last weekend, I missed a great opportunity. I knew. I was looking for it. I was throwing out a couple little bones, hoping that they would bite, and they never bit. And I missed my opportunity to share the gospel with somebody that I may not get a chance to. And I felt bad about that, and I'm sad about that. What I'm telling you is I fall short all the time, and I fail at this thing I'm telling you to do. But we should be encouraging one another, and as his people, and praying for one another, and expecting God to use us to literally expand his kingdom across the street and around the world. And that's not going to happen without verbal witness. Romans 8, all those who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how will they believe in him in whom they've not heard? And how are they here without a preacher? And how are they Go, unless they're sent. Remember that passage? Preacher doesn't mean pastor. It means proclaimer. Jesus has already told every one of us in this room to proclaim the gospel, to make disciples, and to teach them to observe all that he's commanded. That's how we are to be a chosen people, a holy nation. That's how we're to stay on track and stay focused. It doesn't have to be a beautiful presentation it can just be simple truth. Two ways. Share my story. My life before I met Christ, it was a wreck. I needed Jesus. One night, my friend preached Jesus to me, and I repented of my sin and trusted Christ, and he has changed me. And since that night, he's been constantly changing me. Not always easy, but he's there with me. Life before Christ, how you met Christ, naturally tell Give a little bit of gospel. And that might lead into a more serious opportunity to share truth from God's word. I love the Romans road. It's so simple and just straight from the Bible. Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, Romans 5.8, and Romans 10.9. So simple. I mean, you could literally just read those verses and then just say, okay, God, I did my part. Take over. Right? Just let him do it. We have all sinned and fall short of God's glory. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. 
God demonstrates his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. That's those four verses right there. I want to encourage everyone in this room tonight. See the power of God displayed throughout Scripture and in your life. Trust in His plan. His plan is continually unfolding. And it's going to get to that Revelation 7-9 vision that we talked about earlier. That God's plan is marching on and His kingdom is expanding as more and more people follow Christ. Rest in His presence. It's not up to us. It's up to Him. And be His chosen people and glorify His name.